0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church Recorded at one of our worship services Hi, good morning church, my name is Huang And I will be reading selected verses from 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10 Saul was a handsome young man There was not a man among Israel more handsome than he From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people Now the donkeys were lost So Kish said to Saul, go and look for the donkeys But they did not find them Saul said to his servant, Come, let us go back. But the servant said, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said, But we have no present to bring to the man of God. The servant answered, I have silver. Next they met young women who said, The seer had come come just now to the city, and they were entering the city. They saw Samuel coming toward them. Now the day before, the Lord has revealed to Samuel Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. Samuel said to Saul, I am the seer. Today you shall eat with me, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. Saul answered, Am I not the least and humblest? Then Samuel gave Saul a place at the head of those who had been invited. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince. When you depart, you will meet two men. They will say to you, The donkeys are found. Then, and the old Tabor, Three men will meet you there. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. After that, you will meet prophets. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all this sign came to pass that day. The Spirit of God rushed upon him. Later, Samuel called the people together. Thus says the Lord, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptian and from those oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Then the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. The Matrikes clan was taken by Lot. Saul was taken by Lot. But he could not be found. So they inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, He has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him. Samuel said, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? The people shouted, Long live the King. These are the true words of the living God.
1: Thank you for reading that so well for us. Uh, Two chapters. There we have it. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, lovely to see you. We are continuing our journey through 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, if you uh, prefer, and uh, we're in chapters 9 and 10. And the big idea, the big idea in these two chapters, I believe, is this, is that God is a kingmaker, God is a kingmaker, and he makes kings for sinful people. God is a kingmaker, and he makes kings for sinful people. I think that's the big idea, which uh, holds a lot of these two chapters together. And so to uh, develop this idea that God is a kingmaker who makes kings for sinful people, I want to make three points today. The first this might be obvious, is that God is a kingmaker. The second point is that uh, God's kings are deliverers. God is a kingmaker. Number two, God's kings are deliverers. And uh, then number three, God came as a deliverer king as Jesus Christ. God came as a deliverer king as Jesus Christ. But before we get into this passage, I want to begin this morning by telling a personal story about my interaction with this passage. I've read it many times, but the one time I read it was in 2008. In fact, I can even remember the date, the 24th of June. That's not because I have a good memory, it's just because I read it in my journal and I looked it up yesterday. And uh, the facts were this, I was in America, I was living in South Africa at the time, and I had taken a trip to go to a church conference In Los Angeles, and I was reading sequentially through the Bible, and I got to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 10, exactly what we are reading today. And at this time of my life, I was 32, and my heart was youthful and zealous and full of pride. And I had these deep desires to one day lead a church, but it wasn't working out the way it was meant to at that time, and I was having this wrestle. You know how you are wrestling with God, but you're pretending you're not wrestling with God? Some people are nodding. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah and I, we wrestle with God and are honest about it. The rest of you aren't. And when I read this passage, not that I thought I was going to be made a king, just to be clear, but it's so overwhelming how if God wants to get anything done, it gets done. And here I was wrestling with my calling, and where is God taking me, and what does the future look like for me? All sinful and prideful, although there was some good mixed in, I'm sure. But this struck me between the eyes that if you just look at the story of Samuel and Saul and how Saul is a nobody, and then God just does things in people's lives for his own glory, not because of Saul, but despite Saul. It was so comforting to me, Ah, oh, God... He's got a plan. He knows what he's doing, and I don't have to fight. Well, four hours later, I went to this church conference, and after a time of worship, someone stood up and said, I just feel 1 Samuel chapter 10 is on God's heart for someone here today. You kind of get the feeling God is talking to you. So I rushed home, and uh, I wish I could project it uh, But in those days, I used to keep a journal, and just to let you into some of my quirks, I had an architectural pen, 0.1 millimeter, Rotring, and I used to write in this little journal. It's, It's so small you can't read it, so I had to blow it up, but it wouldn't even come out on the photo. So anyway, this is what I wrote, 24th of June, 2008, God Answers Me, four hours after writing the above, when I was talking about 1 Samuel, it gets red out as a prophetic word. Then I had some reflections. And let me read I had six. But let me read you one and six. Sorry, it's a little hard navigating this. And uh, the one thing I wrote here was I must humble myself and not see self-exaltation. Number six, be a reluctant leader. Seek anonymity now and God will do whatever he wants with you in the future. So there we go. That's my personal interaction with one Samuel 10. But it does make the point Uh, This is all about God. It's about His program. It's not about you. It's about Him and His glory. And He is using people to establish His own purposes on earth. Isn't that a wonderful, comforting thing? And uh, we can humble ourselves before Him and just let God be God. Okay, so back to 1 Samuel 10. My first point here is God is a kingmaker. God is a kingmaker. God is a kingmaker. Well... The first thing to say is, on this point, is that Saul is a very unlikely candidate to be a king. When Saul woke up on the day in question, and you told him, Hey, Saul, by tonight you're going to be the king of Israel, he would have laughed. Absolutely laughed. He was a pretty unlikely candidate. Let's read in verse 3 to 5. Now the donkeys were lost. Kish, that's his dad, said to Saul, Go and look for the donkeys. But he could not find them. Saul said to his servant, Come, let's go back. He wanted to quit. So Saul's an unlikely king. He's terrible at even being a donkey boy. How's he going to be a king of Israel? He can't even find donkeys. Then the second thing in verse 6, but the servant said, hey, hey, Saul, no, no, don't quit on the job. I've got a plan. Behold, there's a man of God in this city. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. It's a little unclear who's leading who. Is Saul leading the servant or is the servant leading Saul? So he's really not in control of the situation. And he's kind of lost faith and courage. But then the servant boy has to pluck up the courage and say, hey, boss, wake up. We can go over here. I know. I know a guy. He's in this, t- he's in this town. And then Saul Saul's sort of like, uh, okay. And he carries on. Then uh, the next thing to say is that Saul is broke. Because uh, he carries on and it says, then Saul said, but we have no presence. This is in verse 7 to give to this man of God. And then the servant answers, I'll stump up for you. I've got some cash. Saul's dad is really wealthy, but Saul just can't manage a household economy. He's got no money on him. It's like, uh, think of the most wealthy family in Singapore. And then the son gets told to go to the grocery store and a helper comes along. And then the son gets to the till and he's like, Don, don't have any cash. And then he says to the helper, hey, would you mind just paying for our whole household grocery. It's kind of like that. So this is the candidate who's going to be the king. A little unlikely. Then the next thing is uh, in verse uh, 21. Saul self-describes. Am I not the least and the humblest? Am I not the least and the humblest? He has quite a low... His self-esteem is in the toilet. Am I not the lowest and the humblest, he says? So quite an unlikely candidate to be a king. Well, the second surprise is a king is an unlikely move by God. Not only is Saul an unlikely candidate, but God playing the king card is also an unlikely move. The whole thing's a little surprising. And why is this so? Well, if you weren't here last week, I apologize. Because what for your lack of information, because what we covered last week was how the people had turned away from God by wanting a king. And here, for God to then give them a king, although the people wanting a king was a rejection and a rebellion against God, it's quite surprising in the next chapter that God actually gives a king. So it's full of surprises, this passage. And this is articulated in chapter 10, verse 19, when... uh, Uh, Samuel is talking and he says, but today you have rejected your God. But you have said, set a king over us. So it's a surprise. The people have rejected God by wanting a king. And here God is actually giving them a king. It's an even bigger surprise. So then the question becomes, well, why, if the people are rejecting God by wanting a king, why does God give them a king? And the answer is that God is kind." That's another surprise. Because we read in verse 16 of chapter 9, talking about this king to come. He's telling Samuel, and God says, uh, this king shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Why would God give people a king who want a king to use it as an act of rejection and rebellion against him? And the answer is, God knows there's suffering, the Philistines are attacking them, the people are crying out, and God is kind. And so in the midst of these points, we can learn things about God, because by the way, the central character in this, these two chapters is God himself. He is the main act. He is the biggest character in this drama. And the one thing we learn about God, and this is learning number one, is that God is kinder than people are rebellious. God is kinder than people are rebellious. The next thing that comes from the story is uh, Saul's an unlikely candidate. It's unlikely that God would give him a king. And then the third thing I want to say is uh, If God wants to get something done, it gets done. If God wants a king, there's going to be a king. He's going to get the king over the line. Despite Saul and all his clumsiness, God knows how to get a king over the line. So God has been working on this plan for a while. He's uh, got uh, this chap in mind in verse 2 of chapter 9. Saul was a handsome young man. There was not a man among Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He's an olden day Trent Gilchrist. I just say that out of kindness because he was so unkind to me in his resigned report back. You know, the preacher is kinder than the the rebels in the church. Anyway, so this guy has got natural talent. He comes from money. Not only that, but then there's this series of remarkable coincidences Coincidences in inverted commas. Uh, In the Christian sense, the stars align. In the Christian sense. okay. Because here we have some uh, coincidences in verse 8. Pardon me, verse 11. They meet young women who just happen to be there. They don't know where they're going. They need to get to the city. And these young women, verse 12, said, The seer, Samuel, has come just now to the city as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming toward them. So they're a bit lost. They bump into people who can show them the way. They get a guide. And then on top of that, their timing is absolutely perfect because uh, as they're entering the city, as they're getting to the ERP, Samuel is driving his car in as well. And they come to the same parking garage, same parking lot, and their two cars are right next to each other. It's like, goodness, you know, I was looking for you, and here you are, and oh, it's you. So God is, if he wants to get a king going, he knows how to set it up. So these remarkable coincidences happen, and uh, it gets even more remarkable because you've got a split screen on the left side of your screen of your monitor. You've got Saul and his servant meeting the woman, getting directed to the city, and then bumping it to Samuel just as Samuel comes into the city. On the right side of your screen, in real time, you're watching this movie of the two parties. You've got Samuel. The day before, God is talking to Samuel. Samuel's never met the Saul character. And uh, in verse 15, this is how it goes. Now, the day before, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. It's the day before the donkeys got lost. So God is just setting this, orchestrating this whole thing. Tomorrow... At about this time, I will send you a man, and you shall anoint him to be prince. Uh, By the way, prince just means king. It's the same same word. The, The king, the ruler. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I've seen my people, and I've heard their cry. So God is pulling all the strings here. He's the puppet master. This drama is playing out and he's got he just he's just moving the chess pieces around the board perfectly. His timing is impeccable. So learning number 2 about God from this passage is this. If God wants a plan done, it gets done. Not only that, building on this, God knows how to put courage into the people he calls. Because you got Saul, he's he's a bit of a he's a bit of a ken. Okay, I've never watched Barbie, so I could be wrong here. But he's a bit of a ken. He looks good on the outside, but there's not much substance there, is there? So this is kind of Saul. He's a bit goofy and he's good looking, big guy, wealth, wealthy parents. Other than that, not much good. But God's picked him for his own reasons, but he's lacking a little self-esteem and confidence. But even then, God knows how to put courage. Into people. And so look what happens next in the story. There are some specific signs in chapter 10. This shall be a sign to you. This is after Samuel anoints Saul as the king. And then in that moment, Samuel says, Hey, God's brought you this far with all these amazing coincidences. Now this is what's going to happen from here. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you. Look, you might think this is all just coincidence, and you might write it off to that. So God is going to give you some further incredible coincidences, in inverted commas, so that you know that God really is at work here. This is going to be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince. And it's one, two, three. There's, you're going to meet a man, Samuel. That's me, number one. Then you're going to meet two men, verse two. When you depart, you will meet two men. And they will say to you, the donkeys are found. One, two, three. Then, verse three, at the Oak of Tabor, so a specific place, specific tree, at a specific town, three men will meet you there. And they will greet you and they will give you two loaves of bread. After that, you will meet prophets. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. He makes it easy for, for Saul. One, two, three. I'm number one. You're going to meet two men. Then you're going to meet three men. All these signs. I mean, and it's just, you can't, you, when that happens and you've been foretold it, there's no way you can say, oh, that was just coincidence or luck." Two loaves of bread. The donkeys have found specific messages at specific places. This puts courage into Saul. Not only that, but he puts the Holy Spirit onto him. When God calls you to something, you need courage in your heart. Go forward in the thing that God's asked of you. You need courage in your soul, in your being. And this is exactly what God does to Saul. We can scratch a little harder on this idea. In verse 9, it says this. When he turned, this is in chapter 10, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Just before, in verse 6, he said, when the Spirit rushes on you, you will prophesy, and you'll be turned into another man. God gave him another heart. And then the second part of verse 9, all these signs came to pass that day. Verse 10, the Spirit of God rushed upon him. God knows how to put courage into people for the things that he's called them to do. So our third learning about God, when God calls, God provides. But then, Saul does his utmost to mess the whole thing up. Because uh, his little self-esteem, as much as God has changed him, put the spirit on him, given him all these incredible signs, he still is a little bit frail. And uh, we read this uh, at the big moment when the whole nation is gathered. It's National Day. The PM is going to speak to all the people. This is Samuel about the heir apparent and who it's going to be. And where is Saul? Well, they go through this lot. Uh, let, let's read verse twenty in chapter ten. Then the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. The Matrites clan was taken by lot. Saul was taken by lot, but they could not find him. So they inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, "He's hidden himself amongst the baggage." Then they ran and took him. Samuel said, "Do you see whom the Lord has chosen?" I mean, you can read any tone you want into that. Do you do you see who the Lord has chosen? Do you see who the Lord has chosen? You can read it any way you want. The people shouted. Well, they either shouted, long live the king, or they shouted, long live the king. <laughs> Point being, it's, it's quite a picture. And so the next thing we learn about God is that God is superior to human frailty. If you want something done, he gets it done. Even though you might feel frail, even though you might feel weak, even though you might feel like you're not the person for the task, even then, God will overcome and rally the people around, and uh, give Saul extra jolt of courage. Okay, that was our first point, by far the longest. The second point, the first point is God is a kingmaker. That should be obvious. God has done this. God has put this whole thing together. God is a kingmaker. The second thing you need to know, and this is big point number two, is that God's kings are deliverers. Why would God be a kingmaker? Why would God make kings? Well, we know he did. That's point number one. Point number two addresses the question, why? Why would God make a king? And the answer is, well, because kings are deliverers. That's the way God sees it. Kings are deliverers. And so uh, to make this point, let's look at the ultimate king in the story, who's God himself. And let's see what kind of a king, this is on the divine level. Not the human king level, but on the divine king level. Let's look at God the divine king, chapter 10, verse 17. Later, Samuel called the people together, and then he addresses the people, and he says this about God. Thus says the Lord, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I, this is the Lord speaking, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from those oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God, this God, another description of God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. God is a king. And God's track record, he's saying, is that he delivers people from difficulties and calamities. The true king is a true deliverer. Human kings should likewise be deliverers of the people. And uh, that's, uh, so let's just bank that point. This is the fifth learning about God before we move on to the human king level. One of the major observations about God throughout the Bible is this, is that he can deliver people from bad circumstances. That's his name. That's That's his wheelhouse. That's what he does. He is a king who delivers people from bad circumstances. Therefore, human kings should model, because they're God's proxy, they should model and they should represent this king who delivers. And this is exactly what the job description of Saul, the new king, is to be. And so uh, let's look at chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, when uh, God is talking to Samuel about the king to come. Verse 16, he says, tomorrow about this time I'll send you a man, you shall anoint him to be prince or king over my people. This is the JD, Samuel. This is what you need to tell Saul. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. That's the JD of the king. Chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you prince, and we carried on the story. What is the JD of the king, the human king? It is to be a deliverer, is to save the people from their enemies. Why should the king be like that? Well, as an act of love to God's people, but also as a representation or a proxy or a model of who the true king is. The true king is a deliverer. Therefore, the human kings who come after him should be deliverers too. Point number one. God is a kingmaker. Point number two, God's kings are deliverers. And then this brings us to uh, point number three, God came as a deliverer king in Christ. God came as a deliverer king in Christ. So to help us, I hope, understand this point, I want to tell you a story about the greatest act of parental tyranny ever committed against me. This is when my parents, bless them, I love them very much. This is when my parents, I was aged eight or nine, made me become a Boy Scout. I didn't care for this. I wanted to hit a tennis ball, hit a cricket ball, and kick a rugby ball. But they made me become a Boy Scout, okay? We used to have to shake with our left hand as a sign of trust. We used to have to salute with three fingers, scouts honor, like this, all right? It was the worst, worst, worst thing that made me do. <laughs> and part of this, I can still remember it, I was part of the Peters, Peter Marisburg Third Troop. It means nothing to you all, but that's etched in my memory. Every Tuesday night, I'd have to get driven over to this thing. And one Saturday, then they robbed me of the Saturdays, and one Saturday, there was a, wait for it, an elephant... Carving competition out of soap with a penknife. I'm like, get real. So my mother bought me these two industrial blocks of soap, went off for the day to town, took my sister, gave me a penknife, which is really interesting, and uh, said to me, Andrew, carve an elephant. I'm like, come on. So the thing is, the thing is, I was born with the gift of cheekiness. So I decided I'm going to get her back. So I then carved my little elephant. Okay, now you all know I'm a terrible artist. However, on this occasion, the elephant looked great, Okay, Even I was impressed. I was like, wow, did I really do that? So I made this really great elephant. And then I thought, I'm going to get her back. And so I used the second bar of soap, and I deliberately make the most deformed, ugly elephant you've ever seen. This thing had three legs, barely had a trunk. It was like a cross of like a pygmy hippopotamus with, crossed with a rhinoceros or something. It was terrible. And then my mother came back and she said, Andrew, have you finished the soap carving? And I said, yes, mum." And I showed her the deformed, ugly one. And she looked at it and, uh, and I said, I worked really hard, mum." And she said, Andrew, it's lovely. She says... I'm like, whatever. And I can see my sister behind my mom. She's like looking at me like, what? And then, and then I like hammered up, you know. And I say, I worked. I did my best, mom. Do you think I'll win the prize? And she goes, it's lovely. Like this. And then uh, I said, mom, you lying. I said, uh, this is the real one. And I whipped out the real one. Now, the point of the story is this. You get... Ugly imitation elephants, you get fairly good imitation elephants, and then you get the real thing, the elephant. And in 1 Samuel, what we have, we have the real elephant, who's God the king. And then you have fairly good, from time to time, imitation elephants. We'll call them David. But then you also get, from time to time, ugly imitation elephants. You can kind of see the likeness But they're not the perfect thing, and they're certainly not the real thing. Well, that's kind of what Saul is in this passage. The point is this, is God came as a deliverer king. And this passage, and this is my phrasing, if you forecast the trajectory of God's big story, If you forecast the trajectory of God's big story, and you take this story, you locate it in God's big story, and then you forecast the trajectory of this story into God's big story, you can see this story being perfected in Christ. If you take this imitation king, who's not the greatest representation, but you put it through God's big story of what he's doing on earth, And you take the trajectory and you extrapolate it to its logical conclusion. You see the end. What would this look like in perfection? You can start getting a better view of who Jesus Christ looks like. A king who delivers. And so what I've done is I've compared these stories. And if you take the story of Saul and you put it through a perfection machine, what could it look like? Well, Saul is handsome and fair and tall. Jesus Christ is fairer than 10,000. Saul is a king who loses donkeys, can't find donkeys. Jesus Christ is a king who will never lose one soul. Saul is a king who doesn't know how to find donkeys. Jesus Christ is a king who knows how to find souls. Saul is a king who loses his way. Jesus Christ is a king who's never lost his way. In fact, he is the way. Saul needed the servant to provide the offering money. But Jesus Christ became the servant who poured out the riches of heaven for us. Saul was the king who had one prophet who prophesied about him for a temporary, temporal task. Jesus Christ is the king who all the prophets in the Old Testament point to and talk about. Saul, in many ways, was anointed and he twisted it for selfish gain, as we'll see in the weeks to come. Jesus Christ wasn't anointed for selfish gain. He was anointed. He was the Christ. That's what it means, anointed. He was the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one. He was anointed to suffer. Saul didn't end up saving his people from the Philistines. He did with partial success. Jesus Christ is the king who saves and delivers us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. Saul was the king who received two loaves. Jesus Christ is the king who comes down as the bread of life to be eaten by all. Saul was the king who had the Holy Spirit briefly. Jesus Christ is the king who pours out the Holy Spirit onto all flesh for centuries after centuries after centuries. Saul was the king who had to be found in the baggage. Jesus Christ is the king who finds people with their baggage. Saul was the reluctant king. Jesus Christ was the willing king, who willingly gave his life to save the souls of people on earth. Saul was a temporary king. Jesus Christ Is the eternal king. And so learning number six this morning about God. If we forecast the trajectory of this story to perfection, we get a better view of Jesus, the perfect king, against our greatest enemy, which is sin. To end, some questions for you, which I respectfully put to you. Figuratively speaking, are the Philistines barking at your door? Are the Philistines barking at your door? Is sin, if the Philistines are the picture of sin, the catastrophe of sin, is sin barking at your door? Maybe you've been hurt by sin. Maybe that's how sin is hurting you. Maybe you need a deliverer from the pain of other people's sin. Maybe you are in sin. Maybe you are caught in sin. Maybe you need a deliverer king to deliver you from your pain. Maybe you need a deliverer king to deliver you from your own sin that you are caught in. Maybe you You are not yet in the kingdom. You are not under the king of Jesus Yet. Maybe your greatest enemy as we speak is the consequence of your sin against this king. You need Jesus Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to save you. He's a king who's willing. He wants to save you if you ask him. And if you want to be in his kingdom, you need to do two things. You need to repent and need to have faith that he's a king who can deliver you from your sin. And then my second question to you all is are you struggling with your calling? You feel called to something, but it's just not quite working out. Well, then I want you to look at God today. He's kinder than your rebellion. He's got a plan. and If he wants a plan done, it gets done. If he's called you to something, he will provide. He will give you the internal resources. If you, that's what you need. If you need courage this morning, if you need courage this morning, he wants to give it to you. And if you feel frail and you've wimped out on your call and you've found in the luggage somewhere, He wants to come and find you and remind you of your calling. And if you're in bad circumstances, He can deliver you from them as well. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at
1: www.rhc.org.sg.